Accounting Influencers Broadcast Network presents Success in Accounting. Sponsored by Dext. With Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. Welcome to the Success in Accounting podcast. On behalf of the Accounting Influencers Broadcasting Network, going out to accounting practitioners all over the world in 150 countries, I'm thrilled to be in person in Charlotte, North Carolina with a very special guest. It's Matt Snow, Chairman of Forbes. Good day to you, Matt. Good day, Rob. Great to be here. It is great to be here too. I've come a long way to be here in this interview. You're just on your doorstep, but it's wonderful to grab some time with you. You're a very busy guy. Uh, We can't help but mention briefly the stuff you have on your plate right now with the recent merger. Do you want to talk to us briefly about that and how that's going? Yes, so we... You call um, it a marriage as well, don't you? It is, a merger of equals, and uh, which is very much, you know, I guess like a marriage. But yeah, so June the 1st, we we emerged, uh, we merged BKD and DHG in the United States to... A couple of small firms just getting together. Yeah, just a couple of small firms, but we're in the United States and in the UK and brought those firms together and are now Forbus. Uh, So we're very pleased about that. It's gone very well out of the gate and feel really good about where things are headed and uh, have a lot of integration work to do, but uh, you know, there's that actually gives us a chance to work together toward a common goal. So mm. we're really, really using it for that purpose. Yeah. Well, there's so much I'd love to talk to you about today. We don't have endless time. We're going to talk about employer brand and talent and culture and mental well-being and health and everything else. Let's kick off with a general question. What kind of shape do you feel the accounting profession is in generally right now? Because there's a lot going on, isn't there? There is a lot going on, and uh, I, I talk a lot about us. We're in a period of transition, right. and and some could say it's the accounting, the professional services profession, however you want to shape that, but I think it's the broader business community. But certainly within professional services, we're experiencing this transition of going from a period where for 50, 60 years, there's been a general model of this is how we do things in terms of serving our clients and and the recruiting people and retaining people, building their careers. And we're in a transition period where that's being redefined. So I think that that's anytime there's change, there's a lot of things that come out of that. Good things, some tough things, some anxiety for people, some you know successes for people. And so we've got a lot of that going on as well. We're also, I think globally, uh, working on our pipeline. And we're looking ahead to the future five, 10, 15 years down the road. And are we preparing ourselves to have a strong pipeline of future professionals. And there's some challenges, there's some opportunities there as well. And, and all at the same time, mm-hmm. I think most of professional services are performing very well are, you know, across the globe. And uh, so, you know, kudos to our whole profession for, for you know, really seeing us through a, a period of this change. There's so much in there. When you mentioned pipeline, traditionally people think of client pipeline and growth, but right. you're talking about talent pipeline and bringing that capacity and the people in to drive the growth that you're speaking about. And it's fair to say that accountants, CPAs have stepped up in response to COVID in a way we probably didn't think they would. They, we didn't think you'd be agile enough and could cope with the change enough, but it's been pretty good, hasn't it? It, it has been. And one of the things that I think as a profession we need to do is to highlight that more. I mean, we get sort of a bad rap, if you will, of, you know, people have these images of the green shades <laughs> and the, you know, working on ledger paper and lots of numbers and really focused on, you know, we, we're called bean counters by some people. But, but, but the reality is so 
much of what happened across the globe in from an economic perspective, accountants were right there to help clients and businesses make it happen, whether it's getting support and making sure they receive it from the government, mm-hmm. whether it's taking advantage of certain tax positions that you know, were now available for companies, or whether it's just helping get the work done when people are scattered all over. We were creative, we were innovative, and we figured it out and we met deadlines as a profession. And it just really speaks to uh, the agility, as you said, you used that word agile, and I would agree. And, and that did not just happen. It's happened, I think, over the last 50, 75 years. It's a hallmark of our profession. I think mm-hmm. it's one of the things that, that that's a strength, frankly. In some ways, though, Matt, the accounting profession hasn't done itself any favors. They've traditionally been historical in their focus, looking back, compliance-based. Mm-hmm. and. COVID, many firms, many practitioners, they just focused on keeping their heads down, keeping the clients happy, keeping the lights on, keeping the staff going and everything else. But some were proactive enough to look up and say, look, there are opportunities here to not just be a trusted advisor for our clients, but to be that counselor, that therapist, that coach, that guide. That's right. And a whole lot more. That's right. And we don't take credit for that. And not right. that we're all trying to get credit. So don't get me wrong. No. But but in trying to really shape who we are, not just today, but for the future, for for people looking to enter into an entrepreneurial profession, mm-hmm. uh, you know, this is a great opportunity to do that. And the pandemic and what we've been through in the last two, three years has been a chance for us to prove that out. So we should shine more light on it. And I think your podcast is helping us do that. I appreciate that. And I love you talking about accounting as an entrepreneurial profession mm-hmm. because the cry has gone out from so many business owners for accountants to have more business awareness and commercial acumen and to think like us rather than making your clients think like accountants. And more and more accountants are getting a handle on saying, we need to stop thinking like accountants and start thinking like business people. Right. And that's a hallmark of Forvis, isn't it? That it is. forward vision. You're trying to do that. It is. It's absolutely what we're what we're trying to do. We you know, we hear uh, we've seen I've had access to research that actually shows that people who would be up for joining our profession in five, ten years, we're asking ourselves, what are they looking for in a long term career? Yeah. And they're looking for entrepreneurism and the opportunity to to really innovate and be different. And they don't uh, want to be chained to a desk for ten. That's to 15 right. They years. think that they have this image that we're all working, sitting around desks all yeah. day long. And the reality is, we're out with our clients and we're out listening to their problems. They may give us a phone call at different times with a, a transaction or an opportunity, and we're mm-hmm. there with them to help them. You know, there may not be a rule book about how to handle that. We're helping them figure it out and find the most effective way. Mm-hmm and to make that happen. You alluded to the Great Resignation. You didn't mention it by name, but there's no doubt that there has been a recalibration of people's career choices and what they're doing. And accounting and finance more acutely than many other sectors. And we hear stories of, firstly, people are shunning the accounting profession to come into and study and other things. And second, a leakage from public practice or private practice accounting mm-hmm. into maybe accountants in industry or going into retail or commerce or fintech or everything else. And the accounting firms are losing talent. Mm-hmm. How do you feel the accounting profession shows up as a career path now, particularly for the younger generation coming through? Well, this is where I think the change is coming into play. And you know, there's the way that we've functioned as a profession looking backward, but then there's also the way that we need to be going forward. Mm-hmm. And I think how we figure that out, which firms figure that out going forward will be the ones that I think will really win in terms of attracting talent. But when we look at coming out of the great resignation and how do we emerge differently, 
Um, we, we can't give up what we, what we have, which no. is to give people great client experiences, but we've got to think about how we go about it differently. And we've got to look at how we work differently. And, and we can't just be the way that we did it the last 50 years. It's got to be how we can do it differently going forward. And so the great resignation I call the big wake-up call uh, for all of us on, hey, we have a whole new generation of people coming into our profession, and we've got to do this differently going forward. It's really brought out a lot of new things for us as leaders that we have to do differently and in inspiring our people and, and looking at a workforce differently and looking at talent and workplaces completely differently because they've got options now. Mm. The reality is people didn't have options like mm. they did today. And in your offices here in Charlotte, North Carolina, in the USA, I saw a book on the bookshelf there called the BKD Client Experience. Yes. You probably had a hand in writing that, I'm well, sure. Well, and I did not, but I have always enjoyed having a copy of it as I've gotten to know BKD. Yeah. That's really where BKD and now Forvis, uh, we codify and actually put in writing, what is it like to work with us? And so it's a message not just to clients, but also to our people mm. so that our people can actually understand and know this is what's expected of them and this is what the norm is for how well we serve clients. And you have a manual there for what it's like to work with us. What's it like to work for you? Yeah. What defines the Forvis employee experience, the, the team members? We want to challenge our people. I call it, it's about gaining experiences and having a good experience. And so it's, you use that word experience kind of interchangeably for mm. its two meanings. But we want to challenge our people. So, you know, we don't want them thinking they can come in here and just have an easy go. That, they, you don't grow without having a challenging experience. But the experience of being here... Uh, has to also be one that's attractive to our people. So we are building a workplace experience where people can have a good experience here. And that's where the difference and the changes are coming into play. What was great 10 years ago is not what's necessarily going to be great going Best forward. Best practices change. Right. It? So we want to challenge our people to answer your question. We want to challenge our people. That's giving them the experience that they have. And yeah, it won't be easy all the time. But then we also want it to be in a great experience where they're listened to, where they're not just expected to work a certain number of hours and then get out of here. Have fun when they're here and build some collaboration and some, uh, some teamwork with the people that they're working with. I was just in one of our markets just yesterday. Tom and I both were, Tom Watson, uh, our CEO and I were both in uh, one of our markets just yesterday and we were amazed at how well the team is working well together and they they all have these cadences of when they're in the office about how they go through the day they have trivia boards where they all answer trivia questions they have coffee breaks where they go and they shoot baskets in the social hub but they also have something called quiet time and i was like you know is this nap time no no no, no. that's when we all are like everybody's heads down and yep. we're going at it and we're not asking each other questions but they built a whole new cadence that works for their team about how they can get their client work done and yet also have fun and build camaraderie at the same time. There's a great book by Cal Newport called Deep Work. Mm -hmm. And he describes deep work as the, the new skill for the 21st century, which is the ability to focus on work, which requires high concentration right. for a continued period of time. 
and it's so hard in today's world of distraction hard. and social media and everything else to get that work done. It, it, it is hard, and, and this team recognized that, and this is what, we can't just dictate that and just inst- immediately institutionalize, but we want our people to feel the freedom when they're in their workplaces to be able to create the environment they need to thrive, and that's what this team has done. And, and we actually had a good time. It was a lot of fun there. You talk like it's, it's quite an intimate firm here, but mm-hmm. give us a feel for the magnitude of Forvis as a brand yep. that it is now, because you're across how many offices, how many countries, how many people? Yeah, roughly? so we are in uh, 70 offices, but if you think about it in terms of markets, mm-hmm. it's about 35 markets across the United States and in the United Kingdom and in the Cayman Islands. And so very soon we will be in Toronto, but it's you know almost 6,000 people, and uh, so it's... Well, about 550 partners. Let's take put the 6,000 employees to one side for a moment. Let's ask those 550 partners. If I put them in front of me right now mm-hmm. and said, what's it like working for Forvis, mm-hmm. albeit a new brand and everything else, mm-hmm. would I get 550, 600 different answers or do you want them to be able to articulate a similar experience? Yeah, I want them to articulate a similar experience and principles right. would be what I would go for. It's not like every little moment of every day no. is... But we want principles to be known, and, and I think our partners would have a good way of doing that. It's, they know it's, the Forvis way. Do you that's think? right. That's right. And so we're actually uh, in the process of codifying that. So we just completed our merger June the 1st, yeah. and uh, one of the very first things that Tom and I are doing is building what that looks like and uh, what that um, culture actually is because both firms had very similar cultures before we were very like-minded but they weren't exactly the same and so some of those nuances we want to iron out mm-hmm. and so our goal is to buy this uh, by the end of the fall um, we would have shared that with our partners and we'll begin disseminating that and spreading it over the course of the 12 months after that as well and when we talk to leaders of accounting firms all over the world they Talk about the talent shortage and the talent pool and how much it's holding them back with their growth goals. The average seems to be that they're running at around 10% vacancies. Mm-hmm. So a 600-person firm would maybe have 60 vacancies, mm-hmm. maybe 5%. Yep. I, I don't know what it's like for a 6,000-person firm, but you've probably got a lot of gaps that need filling. Mm-hmm. So employer brand and your ability to attract the right kind of people for Forvis must be mm-hmm. high on your agenda. How do you go about that? Well, I think, you know, it gets back to this notion of, you know, what will you get when you come to work for us? And we always talk about building a valuable career with our people. Mm. And it's not, I saw that on the wall not, here. Right. It's, and it's, it's not, you live out. And it's, that's right. It's not for our people, but with our people, because it's a shared responsibility mm. that we do. But the brand of who we are and, uh, you know, what that means is, is a big part of that. So we think about building our resumes and where did you spend your time when you built your experience and your careers? And Forvest is one of the reasons we wanted to build this national firm was to have a platform where our people's resume value, the brand value of where they spent their time was, was truly uh, worth a lot. And so 
Um, we felt like coming together as four of us created something even more valuable than what either firm had separately before. So that brand value on your resume is something that we're really trying to to build and, and bring attention to as we look to the future. And we're making a distinction here between corporate brand and employer brand. Corporate brand is how you show up to your clients. Mm-hmm. These are our service lines. This is what we stand for. Mm-hmm. This is the way we work. Mm-hmm. This is the way we'll handle you as a client. These are the things we can do for you. That is on your website, front and center. But your employer brand is answering those questions of what it's like to work here. How do you have your hands on the steering wheel of your own progression? Right. How do you go at your own pace? How do you go about putting that in place? That, that has to be a very personalized thing for each and every person. And so we... Because we all want different things. That's right? right. We all want different things. And it requires some accountability on your own part. So we want our people to actually take responsibility and ownership for that. But there's also a part where they need guidance. And so we coach our people to become coaches and to become mentors for people to intersect with our people when they're here to help them make decisions about where they're going and, um, you know, whether they should take a, move in a certain direction or work in a certain industry or not. And so having the mentor and the mentee relationship there is important. We, we actually um, look at partner performance. One of the things that we consider is how well is a partner a builder of people? And uh, it actually becomes part, you know, you, everything's not just numbers, mm-hmm. but it's, it's how well do you build people? And we look to feedback from our employees on how, our team members for, uh, for how well that works. And, um, and, and, and also dissect that from a diversity angle as well. So are our partners also recognized as a mentor of someone from an underrepresented group? And so Building this intersection between mentor and mentee is a big part of what we're building here at Forvis. Mm. Going back to your recruitment process, your interview process, obviously you're asking them questions about mm. their resume and their experience and what they're looking for. If I was being hired by you, I would ask you to tell me what makes Forvis a great place to work. I would say we, we bring everything that a national firm can bring from a client experience perspective, but we, we avoid some of the... Uh, bureaucracy and some of the large firm feel that that some of the more larger more national firms have so people want to feel like they are a part of something great and they want to see themselves within that firm and we think it's much easier to do that at Forvis than it can be in any other large national firm and we want to keep that yes we want to be a big national firm but we don't want to be losing uh, some of the smaller, more regional firm feel that we have as we look to grow and move ahead. Mm. Would it be cynical to say that a lot of large accounting practices out there are saying the same thing and making the same promises to the same kind of talent? Or can you back up the No, I think we can back role? that up. We reach out and touch our people a lot through surveys and right. through other means of getting feedback from our people so that we can achieve a certain outcome from an engagement perspective, from an employee experience perspective. And, uh, and we look a lot to that and we set the bar pretty high for ourselves on how well that works. How do you go about driving culture in a world where 50, 75% of your workforce are not actually in the office? It's a new challenge. That's one of the things that I was talking about that we're in a period of change with the great resignation and those firms that figure that out, I think will be the winners there. We think we have it figured out, not completely. We're always willing to change and get better. But our answer here is, is that yes, there's some roles in our firm that are 100% virtual. 
But for most of the cases, we think a healthy blend of a more hybrid work environment is important. To say that we don't need to be working together uh, ever is a pretty strong statement. One of the things that we've benefited from by having more people come back together is being in the room, working with a team on a project, and the client walks in. And maybe there's an issue on the, on the project that we're working on that's a problem. We may have found something. They may have an issue with how we're doing something. Those interchanges are fundamental to learning how to, to function in any profession, whether you're in corporate finance, whether you're a CFO, whether you're in public accounting or you're a consultant, knowing how to handle those is you, you can't do that sitting at home by yourself on a screen no. all day long. Completely. No. Yes, some, but not completely. And so we believe ideal in this environment is being in a much more hybrid work environment. Mm. And so you ask, how do we do that? And how do we make that happen? It's encouraging our people to, to and, our, and our leaders to find intersections of times when we can work together some, and yet understanding that it's okay if we're not always together and mm. we can spend some of that time apart at home, virtually, whatever that might be. There's a body of work by a guy called Charles Jennings and other people called the 70-20-10 movement, which speaks to how people learn and upskill in the workplace. Mm -hmm. So 70% is by osmosis, on the job, mm -hmm. learning as you go along, yeah. being around the office, hearing, overhearing conversations, mm -hmm. putting into real life situations. 20% is through a little bit more formal coaching and mentoring, that collaboration type thing that you spoke of in Forest. Mm -hmm. And 10% is the formal classroom learning. Yep. Could be technical experiences. So you're looking at the 70 plus the 20, that's 90% of stuff that happens when people are in person together, rubbing right. shoulders over the coffee machine or the water cooler, and that's hard to generate in a hybrid environment. Right, right. It, it is hard to do, which is why we've reached the point of saying we have to spend some time together. And create those moments. And create those moments. And some of those 70%, yeah, they can be done virtually, yeah. but I would venture to say that whatever, the, not to get crazy with percentages, but maybe it's 80% of those are better in person. So it, it does challenge us though, and this is the challenge that we're embracing to make that experience that I talked earlier of being in the office a great experience so people feel drawn there. Um, and uh, the team we were visiting just this week has done a phenomenal job at making that happen. Everybody wants to be there. There's a little FOMO going on <laughs> if they're not there. Yeah. We have to draw people in, not always, but it can't just be the same old, same old where we come and just sit down and let's make it a great experience while mm. they're there. It sounds like you've got a culture where it's okay to fail, it's okay to make mistakes, and it's okay to admit that you're not coping. Sure. And I know you're very big on mental well-being, mental health, mental resilience. You're very intentional about yeah. that. Talk to us a little bit about that. I am a big believer, and I'll have to say, I, so my mom was a, a family therapist, and so I grew up with my mom always saying, look, we all have baggage. Yeah. And don't think you don't. Everybody's got a suitcase. And everyone's contending with something. Yes, they? exactly. Sometimes, you know, everything's just fine, but, but everybody has some baggage. So I knew that just intuitively, but in the pandemic, it really highlighted this, and it was a... Uh, an instigator or trigger event, I think, for a lot of people to really struggle with mental well-being. When I think about answering some of these questions like, 
you know, what, how do we manage through the great resignation mm-hmm. and how do we create a great place to work? Uh, having a workplace where people can feel okay to raise their hand and say, I really, not jokingly, I need a mental health day. And everybody's like, I got it. And it's it's looked at with the same thing as I have a cold and I'm not coming into work today. Yeah. And sometimes it's not a day. Sometimes it's two weeks or a month that somebody needs off. And for us to embrace that and to see it, I think is critical, not just to allow it, but to be aware of it and the risk for it. Uh, you know, I, it's pretty well known here just recently in the United States, you know, one of the other large firms in this country had a very tragic event happen and happen. And, you know, we all in the profession just really want to embrace and surround that firm and just let them know that, hey, we get it. This is tough. And I think it's a lesson for all of us to just as a reminder to be aware of, you know, the fact that we're all humans. And mm. just like we get sick physically, we get sick mentally. And a great uh, workplace will recognize that and will train their people uh, to, uh, to watch for it and to embrace it and deal with it. We come from a profession, though, Matt, where it's traditionally not been okay to put your hand up and say, yeah. I'm struggling. We've interviewed a guy called Andy Solkeld on this show, and he was a former Big Four uh, employee and talked about how it was a stigma to admit that he wasn't coping because it's all about how many hours are you charging, what are you getting done, how productive are you, timesheets and everything else. And he said, I wasn't coping well. And to put my hand up and admit that I wasn't coping well was career suicide. So he internalized it all to the point where he went to take his own life. Mm. That that obviously went too far, but we've got to nip that in the bud Mm. and make it okay for people to say, whether externally there's things going on that I'm not handling well, mm-hmm. and you need to know about this in my workplace, or internally, mm-hmm. I'm not coping with this, this, and this. You want to cut that off, don't you? Make That's them right. able to say that. You do, and and it that takes time. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't just flip a switch and suddenly say, okay, it's now hereby okay for that. But it's a, it's a culture, building a culture where that's expected and embraced, and we've got to allow people to just back up and um, and, you know, restart if they need to whether it's taking a month off or whatever that might be and uh, so and that's not really something that's often done right now quite frankly so we're not there I don't want you to pretend that our profession has this figured out or that our firm has it figured out but Mm -hmm. part of being a firm of the future and being an attractive place for people to work is knowing you've got that backstop and it won't be career suicide if you raise your hand And it's not always just time off. Sometimes it's a change in your work schedule. And so one of the things that we're really working with is how do we have different career paths and different career schedules and options for people that are much more suitable for them long term. They can build a valuable career, but maybe it's not with the exact same charge hours and client load and and whatnot. And we have to figure these things out if if we're going to be attractive long term. And the other side to that is how do you reward and recognize your employees? Because if I'm a young father of two in my late 20s, Mm -hmm. I've got different ways of being rewarded than somebody in their 50s, their kids are grown up, they're empty nesters, or they have no partner or anything else. And so you can't give everyone the same package or a load of perks and benefits. They're going to want different things. Right. That's right. It... It is. It is. We're, we're studying that right now as we put our benefit plans together mm-hmm. uh, in our firm. And uh, it's a different, you know, when you ask people what's important to them, it's, you know, things are different now. And we have to take that into consideration as we look at building 
uh, benefit plans for people. And, you know, it does cover things like work environment and, uh, uh, you know, schedules and flexibility. And so these are very soft topics. They're not like pick this insurance plan that you want. Mm. Uh, but it's more, you know, what are the different options that you have from a from a work life perspective as well? And we talked off the microphone about how things are different now. You and I sit here as a couple of white mm-hmm. guys in their 50s, mm-hmm. perhaps representative of the accounting profession as it has been. Yep. But diversity, equity, inclusion, accessibility, these are top of everyone's agendas now as leaders in accounting firms. They, they are, and we speak of creating that great place to work for the future, uh, having a workplace where uh, there is diversity that is a product of having an inclusive workplace mm. uh, is is really table stakes now, quite frankly, in my view, at least that's how I see it, is we have to have that uh, the structure there to allow that and to enable that to happen um, in order to be a great workplace. Mm. Um, so it's something that I'm certainly very passionate about and there's you know, we could do a whole other podcast on that one altogether. I, in fact, I just, before we taped this, just got off of a call with one of our inclusion networks that we have at Forvis. And because I, I want to go here and listen to the challenges that they have and what are some uniqueness, uh, unique things about that specific inclusion network uh, where I can lead differently or I can push things a little bit differently and, and just be aware of the things that they're dealing with. And you're big on dialogue. I know that. You yeah. talk to women you have some great female leaders here in the firm uh black and ethnic minorities lgbtq all this is on the agenda and you're very keen to understand how the firm the profession looks from their perspective aren't you we do and and we can't just assume that it's all through the lens of a white male (laughs) in their 50s i think we all get that but you know it's interesting are even people that look to join our firm who are not part of an underrepresented group, yeah. like the ones that you just mentioned, they expect us to have this. And the reason is they have friends who are from an ethnic minority or who are in the LGBTQ community or whatever that might be. And, and they want a, a workplace where that will be respected and will be lifted up and you know where we're trying to bring equity into situations where we possibly can because that's who they are. Mm-hmm. And so they expect to see this in the firm. So this is very much a part of the workplace of the future uh, as as anything, quite frankly, is having that that workplace where inclusion is valued, where people can genuinely, regardless of who they are, can feel like they I belong here and I feel a part of it. And I know you're not just out to attract the younger generation, the people coming through, graduating, uh, taking their qualifications, coming up at the bottom of the ladder, if you like. You make some very strong lateral hires coming into Forbes from other firms that perhaps are looking at the culture of their firm and saying, well, I'm not having this anymore. I'm not taking this. I want something different from my workplace, right. from my environment. And you try to make that attractive for them and equally make it right for your own people so you retain your own senior Absolutely. Staff. Absolutely. In fact, many times we get people who are a couple things. One, we have what we call boomerangs, which are people that left because they thought they saw something uh, better. And then the they grass is always greener. All that. <laughs> and then, then they've come back. I love those. I always celebrate those when they come okay. back. You but keep the door open. For absolutely. It. Don't yeah. ever shut the door. But then we also, we get a lot of lateral hires from, from people just looking for something different than what they currently have. And, um, you know, 
and our DEI focus is one area where I think we've got the ability to do that. Mm. My mom taught me that the grass is always greener on the other side, but it still needs mowing. That's right. So you, you go somewhere else and you feel you want to come back. But some leaders are quite strict on that and say, look, you're either with us or you're against us. You're on the team bus or you're not. And if you're not on the bus, you're under the wheels and you're gone. Escorted out, the yep. and all that. Yeah, we don't, we rarely do that. And so we just don't. And uh, it's uh, because you never know. They might be a client one day, whatever the case might be. We also recognize, and I think this is important for our whole profession, there was, there was always this model that you come in, you start, you work hard, you make partner. The reality is that that's ended. And today we get some people that do that, but most people will leave, some come back. Uh, some people we come join us as a lateral hire. And so we approach this from the perspective of while we have you, while you were part of our team, we want this to be a great experience for you. And yeah, it might not always be partner for you that you're looking for, but what is it that you're looking for? And let's work together to make that happen. I, I really do think that shifting that point of view to that is, is a great way for us to look at how we motivate and encourage people while they're here so they don't feel the pressure that they're a failure if they yeah. don't reach whatever level it is that you know they think the world uh, expects of them. Well, let's dwell on the traditional accounting firm model of partner equity senior partner, board level, managing partner, whatever that is. Are we looking at a move perhaps to the C-suite and the, the CXO model with no managing partner and specialists in that are not even accountants and CPAs? Mm-hmm. And is it worth putting money into equity so I can take a big chunk out? Or do I want to pay equity into a firm to pay some senior partner off to go off into retirement? Is that model broken? I really don't. There's there's a lot of change going on in our profession right now. Private equity has showed yes. up, and so it's really challenging that. But but that's okay. It's it's really, I think it 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 forces firms to really look hard at what their strategy is mm-hmm. and how well that ownership structure fits in with their strategy. Um, we're about building valuable careers. We are about building a firm that will be made for the future. And you know we don't want to do anything that could harm that opportunity for our people to take advantage of that into the future. Uh, Some firms, you're going to see some firms that opt out of that. And whether it's going down private equity, whether it's breaking up consulting with assurance and tax, you know, there's all kinds of things going on there. But each firm has to decide how does that fit in with what their strategy is. And so, yeah, we're going to see some some more changes there. I have no doubt that we will. But it's okay. I know for us, it's forced us to really link all of that to what we're looking for long term strategically. Well, let's start to wrap this up. Matt, you've had a distinguished career. You've got a few years left in the game. What gives you the appetite to get up in the morning and keep coming back in? So for me at this point in my career, you know, signing more opinions is not really going to be it. <laughs> and uh, you know, although I quit doing that, you know, several years back, but uh, you know, for me, it's about right now. It's about building a firm that is uh, very well suited and situated to help build careers 20, 30 years from now. And so that's, that's legacy really, talk, it is legacy talk. And I, I, I am really about making sure that all that happens and that our decisions that we're making are best supporting that. Um, and, and so it means we're, you know, there's some things we might need to change in order to be adaptive to our current workforce and the talent that's looking to join us so that you know, we can be situated to allow that to happen 20, 30 years from now. 
I'm always like watching people's careers progress. Uh, we'll be celebrating next week with uh, new partners. We'll be getting our new partners together, and I'm really looking forward to celebrating with them. It's sort of a capstone of their, uh, you know, many things that they've done to get to that point. And so that that will really be uh, an exciting time as well. And I like the idea of that celebrating because we're so head down, there might be a win, but right. we're straight up to the next thing, aren't we? And we right. almost forget the momentous occasion that that was or the how we turned that corner, how we made that breakthrough, how we delivered that result because we're on to the next thing. Right. So stopping and taking a moment. That's right. That's right. Is important. No, I, I could not agree more. And we tend to get so busy and you know, being so spread out and not always together like we used to be, we have to force ourselves to do that mm-hmm. and to really reward and recognize people. Well, Matt Snow, this has been fantastic. Leave us, would you, with a few thoughts to the leaders listening that mm-hmm. are wanting to set culture, drive an employer brand, make their place a great place to work, to attract good talent and retain yeah. the good people that they've got. What would you say to them? One, be courageous and uh, be creative. And uh, don't be afraid to, to rock the boat a little bit. Understand that some of the people that are right around you uh, uh, might not have the same long-term view that you do. And think also about your, your more broader team members that you have. But, but in, in trying to build that firm that, that you want for the future, being creative and understanding that the way we always did it is probably not going to be what works going forward and having the courage to to stand up and set that tone for your partners, for your team members, across your whole firm uh, is really what a leader is is for. And uh, if anybody's looking for for my two cents, those are the things to do. Well, Massimo, Chairman of Forbes, that's been fantastic. Thank you so much for your time, your passion, and your insights today. Thank you very much. Improve your practice while decreasing how hard you work to make your firm really fly. Sponsored by Dext.